All right, so we're all here together as pals. I don't know what you want to call us. You got a nickname for this group? Almond Tree. <laughs> that works. All right. Um, so we're going to talk about a uh, revival. I think is the topic at hand, the As Asbury revival. Um, and originally we were going to talk about a video that my mom had sent me, and I don't think it's entirely unrelated from the topic of revival. No, it's pretty related. Yeah. Related. But I'm not sure the parts of it, because we were thinking about doing a commentary, but the video is like an hour and 15 minutes long. So I don't know where the timestamps were where we, that we'd want to go into. So we figured we'd just start off. I, I, I do. If you want to go into like the open vision, we could probably cut, you know, toward the end of it. We don't have to necessarily go through the whole beginning part. Yeah. That's pretty salient. So we could talk about revival and then we could talk about um, the... the yeah, that particular okay. really noteworthy kind of like prophecy and vision she had at the end. Okay. Do you remember what timestamp that was? So I can get it ready here. I can easily find it. Okay. All right. I, well, I pretty much know where it is. Okay, cool. All right. Well, does anyone want to start about topic of revival? I don't know much of what's going on about the, the Asbury revival. I've only heard a very short bit, um, but... I know the topic is more broad than that. We're talking about revival in general, but take it away, guys. John, are you going? I'll direct it towards you. I might be. You might Actually, be going? yeah. How far is it? Maybe on Sunday. About five hours. Oh, it is. Okay. Are they yeah. doing services all the time, or is it just Sunday? It's all the time, as far as I understand. It's like, I talked to Uncle Randy a tiny bit today. Oh, nice. What did Uncle Randy so, say? Just that it was pretty amazing. That was about it. Um, so maybe maybe I'll be there on Sunday. Cool. Maybe we can start with... Uh, I'm sorry, what? No, go ahead. I, I don't even know what I was going to say. Ask your question. <laughs> no, I was just going to ask, what is uh, what are your thoughts on revival in general i guess like what it like peter peter was asking yeah, the question think, like what it should look I think like I'm gonna, things like that i'll probably hang on to my opinion last because okay. i think things where and i know you kind of grew up the same way jason where revival was not an uncommon thing for me to see in the church you know through through my childhood and so um I, i'm coming from a place of familiarity and like comfortable with the topic um and so i think i'd like to rather hear somebody who's a little bit skeptical first and then and then begin to address it because i don't want to operate on my assumptions that you know everybody has the same experience yeah so you know i kind of brought up the topic and it's something i've been interested in maybe i could share a few thoughts to get our get our juices flowing i'm sorry if my children interrupt me it's likely going to be the case that's okay. Um, I've been doing a little bit of research into the the whole um, Asbury, Asbury revival. Um, it's kind of weird because it's happening at a college, which is kind of random in Kentucky. And what even happens in Kentucky, you know, other than bourbon or something? I don't know. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I know nothing about the South. I'm a Yankee. It is what it is. <clears throat> um, no. One second.
Jason, uh, the timestamps you want are roughly one hour. She talks about the revival and one sixteen is when she discusses the verse that leads to her vision. Okay. One hour and one sixteen. One hour for the revival and one sixteen okay. for the vision. All right, cool. I got it set. So yeah, I was there. just I was just listening to our favorite um one of our favorite intellectuals, uh, Elisa Childers. Oh yes. <laughs> we, we love, no, we love I like, Elisa Childers. You know what they say about keeping your enemies close? Just kidding. They, your friends are close and your enemies are close. No, I was kidding. I'm kidding. She's not an she, enemy. She's, she's the she's the absolute expert on who is Christian and who is not. And that's right. Mm -hmm. She has all the biblical interpretation down. That's right. She has all the it's facts. It's just so weird that it, it just so happens to coincide with with uh, every other reformed conservative person. I don't know. She's very original. Anyway. Um, and also, I'm pretty sure her own theology is not to be a woman, woman who speaks out for the church, but um, that's another story for another time. Perhaps. Anywho. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Anyway, um, I was listening to her because she does have some interesting points. And what I was actually surprised to find out is that Elisa is actually not, um, she's not against the movement of the spirit. It was really fascinating. She's not against the charismatic movement entirely. I think she recognizes, as many people do, that there are a lot of issues. And one of them in particular is that the, um, a lot of people who are now like sponsoring, quote unquote sponsoring, or like really like, you know, speaking out in favor of this Asbury revival are these NR, NAR people. I don't know if you're familiar with NAR, but basically it's like- Yeah, new apostolic, apostolic reformation. Reformation, <laughs> which, you know, now in the context of Catholicism or even Eastern Orthodox, it, it's so funny, isn't it, Cal, you're you looking to that, how, um, when you start to re recognize, right, it's such a, I don't know, to me, it just looks like such a safer option to be involved with the older traditions that actually have been claimed to be apostolic for a long, long time. You know, like, well, they've been around, they've been, Daddy. but then you have like, these new, new people who come in here like, I'm an apostle because the Holy Spirit speaks to me. It's like, boy, where have you been for the past 2,000 years? What? Mm -hmm. You know, out of the mouths of babes, Daddy. right? Um, God, God, God loves boldness and faith. I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty, um, uh, ecumenical or whatever. I, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty down with like these, these kind of, um, Pentecostal people to be perfectly honest. I mean, my interest in Catholicism stems from experiences that I cannot, uh, fully make sense of to myself, but I would not pretend that, you know, I, I don't want to be one of those like really kind of snooty catholics that would look down their nose at, at 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 the you know the unwashed you know sort of protestants or you know it's like that's really kind of it's kind of gross now of course what you're you're right to say that they're 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 acting like they're apostolic but in a way their tradition is very deracinated you know that's very true i mean there's no there's no way around that um uh and it's it's kind of um it's kind of hard when all you really have is the Bible, and you know there isn't really a tradition per se, to to 
I mean, it's 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 just it's just kind of hard to make things work. But you know, there's Catholics who they try to be um like Catholic uh revivalists, Catholic um charismatics. You know, they they try to do that, and I mean, and then there's there there's that there's that wing in the Catholic Church that looks down on them, sort of how the Reformed crowd often looked down on the charismatic crowd. And, you know, I mean, it is, it is what it is. I mean, there's, 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 there's a right and a wrong way probably to go about all of it. But personally, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I, I like that spirit. I like, and I like the spirit of the lady that uh, Jason is talking about that, that Krista Elisha, I think, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I'm, I'm, I like it as well. I will, like, I do understand that it's, and get weird like prophets are just weird like prophets are even in the bible yeah. prophets are weird they're always doing weird stuff there's just like they live in the like even i mean even not just I mean, within catholicism gets weird yeah yeah even the monks in catholicism they they're just strange people um and so yeah. they speak in like these weird imagistic poetic visionary ways things like that that are uh can easily get i guess twisted up and entangled i guess what i'm curious about as well is like growing up when i would hear people talk about revival um so i grew up in and john's uh familiar with this as well i think he grew up something very similar kind of word of faith circles and that stemmed out of like these healing revivals in the 80s so where um i think it was a mass like a big movement like Catherine kuhlman uh ken uh, kenneth hagan um lester summerall a lot of these names um kind of i think came out of smith wigglesworth a bit too but the, where there was these big church movements and there was a lot of healings that would happen. And um, I still am unsure how I feel about that. I've, I mean, I, of course, love healing. I think that should be a part of it. But I guess where I'm, I'm not, I shouldn't say unsure. I guess just looking at the scriptures and the pattern in the Bible, it seems like you have Moses and Elijah and Christ. And it's like the law and the prophets and salvation or something like that and there seems to be this pattern of like like the baptism of john he who comes after me was preferred before me because he was before me and that's the baptism into repentance and so if you're just having healing revivals with no repentance or anything like that it seems to be uh you know i, I guess the i could phrase it this way like when i had that heal i had that pain in my face i say this almost every time I talk about it, I'm like, you know, when I first started believing for healing, it got worse before it got better. And if I would have gotten healed instantly, I wouldn't have followed God. Like I wouldn't have, I would have just been like, okay, thanks. You're a good pal. I'll talk to you later. You know, I don't, I wouldn't have pursued him relentlessly. And I don't think he like made me suffer. It was just like, I had to come to a point of like, almost like broken humility to where I was just like, you know, it doesn't even matter about this anymore. I'm I love you. I'm going on with you. I love these scriptures that I've been reading. And then the healing came sort of afterwards. So there's all these like, you know, the gold dust, the the healings, all this stuff that's just great and wonderful that you hear about. But then to me, I think the core of it is uh, the the core of the revival is the, the humility and the repentance um, and coming um coming before the altar and like the surrender and things like that um to to what's higher but i i mean that could just be my my bias i don't know but i from what i heard when i first heard about this revival that's how i heard it started was these pastors were 
the leaders of the people were actually doing that in front of people were kind of almost cutting themselves open and being like, here's my, you know, I need, I need repentance, but I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Like I, that's all yeah, I yeah, heard yeah. about this. That's what I heard as well. That, that Krista, Alicia, she said something that was very, very interesting to me. She said something like that the, this was at a, what a Bible college or something. And that the, the authorities, the administrators had said that you weren't supposed to kneel on the stage. Right. And, and then one of them ended up one of, one of the, you know, administrators themselves ended up like kneeling on the stage and repenting of something. And that was what triggered, triggered the revival. Like, that's really cool. That's um, I, you know, she'll talk about it maybe more if we pull up that clip, but that, I mean, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can pull up the clip and in, in a minute or whatever, but I think that's why, I mean, I said it kind of cryptic, but that's when I said Moses, Elijah and Christ <laughs> salvation, it's like this pattern. It seems like you have the law and then the law, you kind of, you know, any law, you, I mean, it doesn't matter. You're going to end up breaking the rule. If he says, don't trust, don't touch the fruit on the tree. It's like the one thing it's like, you always, you always got to break the, the one rule. And then Indeed. the prophet always comes and says, repent, um, Indeed. return back to heaven. And then if you actually repent, then the salvation comes. And that seems to be the pattern to me, but I, um, I don't know. But then at the same time, like you can't, it's not a, it's not like a math equation. So I don't think you can just put it down and be like, but I don't know, maybe it could be because if you truly, truly repent, if you truly, truly do that metanoia and turn back to God, it is like a death to yourself. And then what's left but a resurrection, you know, I don't know. Retrospectively. No, I... Go ahead. Oh, okay. What I was, what I was going to say, I guess my hesitation is, yes, similar to you, Jason, I grew up in that tradition that was very much um, all about like, and we'd have like these tent meetings and stuff and these revival weekends where we'd be like, it's going to be fire in the spirit weekend. We're having a revival. And what it, what it meant was it meant an event. It didn't mean an actual turning point in our faith mm -hmm. or even an outreach. It wasn't even an outreach. It, it was yeah. just like an event in which we, we tried to summon the Holy Spirit, like almost like an incantation in a way. And that's what a lot of like word of faith Pentecostalism kind of tends to be. It's like, Instead of just recognizing that the spirit is always uh, present, instead um, it's like we're summoning it, we're we're inviting God into this place. Which you know, I think there's something to be said about like, sanctifying spaces, you know, like. But I think really what it is is just, um, I guess it's like creating space for us to for heaven and earth to lap, overlap. In a, in a, like creating thin spaces like we talked about before these thin yeah. spaces between heaven and earth and I've experienced in, in some of those fire in the spirit movements or uh, events that we had we experienced God in powerful ways and it was meaningful but I think in the grand scheme for the, sake of the, the church at large the global church you know it doesn't really make much of a difference I guess it, at this point it's maybe like inspiring some people Kind of funny that at, at the same we have like these two movements, these two like popular movements happening at a similar time. Um, you have you have that whole like he gets us advertisement campaign, which is kind of like these kishy, I don't know, like um, I don't know, what do you even say? Like they're kind of just like these surfacey, 
moral. Uh, well, that's just the whole political political thing disguises theology. No, but it felt like it. It kind of looked like it. Because it's like the one thing Jesus wouldn't do is like take out a Super Bowl ad. Like it felt like it was coming down from like the machine or from on high or something like that. Like it just it, it felt weird. I completely agree. And like, but yeah, like the words, I agree with all of it. Like I was like, I agree well, with sure. this, and yet, why do I feel like this is like coming just, from like said, the Antichrist somehow? You, you know? said something, something nefarious underneath. And what gets me is that you have some of these ads were like promoting. Um, taking care of like immigrants or like uh, humanizing immigrants being like Jesus was an immigrant he was a refugee he gets us but it's like at the same time a lot of people who are supporting this event and some of the main like financial supporters like Hobby Lobby or whatever they're all like these ultra right-wing anti-immigrant anti-refugee people that back when like the refugee crisis coming out of Syria they were like keep them out keep them out they're all Muslim extremists but at the same time, they're willing to fund these ad campaigns, that, which is really false advertising for themselves. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think maybe I'm overcritical, or maybe I've just seen enough. You know, I've seen enough to recognize that like not all things that are done in the name of Christ are good. And so I guess that gets me to like revival. Like, what do you mean by revival? What do you guys want to accomplish in this revival? Mm. Do you guys want to just get filled up with the Holy Spirit? Is there a plan to be sent out? Like, what about the the structure of society? Um, what about systemic issues throughout the society that are unjust? Do you care about those things too? Like, or are you just trying to have mystical experiences with God? Um, or, or are you just trying to get people to mentally ascent to faith without actually metanoying? You know, um, I feel like that's often the case in Protestantism. It's like it's all about. There's a lot of that debate of like, what does faith mean? Is it does faith mean no works? Does faith mean faith and works? Like Catholics, you know. Um, and I think it really is a balance between the two. Uh, Christians in in Acts, the Romans were saying these people are turning the world upside down. The Romans, the pagans, the ones who are on the outside, saying these people are re-envisioning the world. In such a way that the society structure that we had before it looks puny it looks it looks like it's not going to last and they're, they're creating a system that looks like it's going to last and there's, there's ultimately there's going to be something political political involved in that i think it's just like people want to pray for revival but when when revival means laying down your rights and privileges for the sake of justice and uh a reordered society and world, are you going to be willing to do that? You know, or are you just willing to pray and sing songs in a chapel? I guess that's what gets me. I think I want to see real systemic change for the world that God loves. That's my spiel. You know, I'm I'm not politically right leaning, but I don't I don't know if it's it, it seems like it may be a caricature to imagine that right-leaning people in general are xenophobic or against immigration and you know even even that said if you if you poll people anonymously what we what we find is that the majority of people are xenophilic and that they love other cultures uh, 
but the, the majority of people are also restrictionists, meaning they they believe that there should be restrictions on how immigration works. And, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I hesitate to jump to conclusions about the political motivations of the, the people running the ads. And I haven't seen the ads, so, you know. I'm just talking. I'm I, not the one who should say so. No, you're right, Craig. In that, I don't want to make, make a monolith of other people, but Hobby Lobby in particular is one of those that was pretty outright, like, really excited about a lot of the kind of fascist sounding rhetoric that was going on in the past administration. Past few years. Tell us. I'm just talking in general. Yeah, I mean, tell us about that. I don't, I don't know anything. That, yeah, I kind of laughed when you said Hobby Lobby because they seem like the last group to, to, to take a radical stance on anything. That's why I got I don't know. I mean, obviously, they made the whole stance on gay marriage. It's like, yeah, I, I get it. I understand that. I think, and maybe I'm just speaking out of my butthole for the most part, <laughs> but still, they were also one of, like, the donors for the, like, Trump's campaign and whatnot. So, so I just, I, I see a connection between, you know, that was a big, that's been a big aspect of that campaign and, and a lot of that rhetoric. Unfortunately, I saw a lot of people who are religious getting excited over that rhetoric. They're getting excited about that. Even people who live up in Massachusetts, I'm like, dude, that doesn't affect you. You live in Massachusetts. <laughs> like you're not on the Mexican border. Anyway, I don't want to take over this conversation. But you're right, Craig. It has to be balanced. I'm just speaking from like my, I guess, devil's advocate position of like, what do you mean by revival? And when when God says revival means means applying God's law in such a way that we're reordering a just for in this for the outcome of a just society. And that's a lot of what the law is about and the prophets were speaking to as well. You know, the Testament, they were speaking out against um, against the Jews who, who had power and were using it unjustly against foreigners and um, against foreign, against the needy. Like you have that classic case of Sodom and Gomorrah, which it's fascinating in Ezekiel. He points out that the reason that God cast judgment on them was because they were basically storing up too much wealth, not taking care of the needy, and they were um, also not being hostile to the foreigner, the outsiders. So he cast judgment on them. So like, I think Ezekiel might be bringing that up because it's like, hey guys, do you want Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened there, to happen to you guys? Because that was those were pagan people, and God didn't spare them, and he's not going to spare you either if you act just like them. So I was like, I think God in the Old Testament seemed to be just as, um, just as, he cared just as much about the ordering of society, cared just as much about justice in the world, and um, social justice, you could call it. People don't like that term because it's like, carries so much semantic baggage, but but I think when, when the prophets were speaking out in a lot of cases, you hear it all over Isaiah too. Um, and through the Psalms as well. God talk, um, David talking, singing about how 
justice is the foundation of God of the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. So um I think if the if a prophet were to speak to get today and we're speaking truthfully to our moment, then it would look something like that. And it's not necessarily just gonna be all about having um personal mystical experiences with God or even mystical experience within the inside of like a chapel, you know. I think it ultimately should grow out in a larger direction. Yeah, I like I kind of like where this is going. It's really interesting to me. Um, it's interesting to me what uh, how the topic of revival has um, like the ideas that it stirred up in in you, Peter, about like even immigration and just like basically uh, boundaries and borders and openness and things like that. And uh, what revival would actually look like? Does it look like open doors for new people to come in or is it kind of closed off to the outer world and it's like a celebration from within or is it opening the, up the gates and receiving um, more people into the family of God type thing? Um, yeah, I don't know. These are incredibly interesting topics. And it's, I like what Craig said as well. It's kind of... Um, I mean, you have even uh, so, like even with immigration, this is just—it's kind of weird to tie this into revival. But I mean, even if you look at immigration, it's nothing else but like—I uh, mean, it's just boundaries and borders and gates, and you can do that with propositions. You can do that with anything. And then, how do those? And you, if you do away with those, then you just kind of have floodwaters. But then, at the same time, if you um, if you restrict that too much, it kind of goes, it touches on our whole, what was that conversation we had a long time ago, the Chimera and Hillbilly conversation, I think. It's like all these ideas are kind of coming into play right now. Um, and it's interesting to me that that they're, uh, that's what uh, the topic of revival kind of stirred up. I don't think it's unrelated at all, by any way. I'm just not quite sure what to do with it. That's what's making me wonder about the pastor on the stage that falls on his knees. Because I think you have to have the restriction, you have to have the borders and the boundaries, or you're not going to get that pastor getting that conviction. And it's that, and it's when that pastor, the leader is split open. When he's split open, it's like that's the door of the sheep or something. And he becomes the gate for them to come through. Um, that's the only thing I can think of, is it's that, that truth, what is closing everyone else out. He finds it in his own heart. And it convicts him and judgment begins with his own heart, with the house of God within him. And then he finds himself torn apart. And through him being torn apart, he becomes like a new gate for the, for all the rest of the world. to One million percent. That, that was extremely apropos. That's, that's really good. Well, thanks. <laughs> Talking out of my butt here. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. That felt like prophetic, man. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't know how else it works. I had, thanks. Uh, hopefully, I mean that and that, that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's the thing that always gets me when I think of. Um, gosh, it doesn't even have to be a big revival. I just remember being in a men's group one time, and that was just this guy who was sitting there. Uh, he wasn't even a leader. He was just one of the guys there, and we were just in a prayer, praying, and kind of going around a circle. We would say prayers. And it got to this one guy there and he was just like, he just started and he was like, just right off the bat was like, God, just forgive me. I'm just such a, 
such a center and like i just but you could feel the air just change and it was wow. just like dead silence and i just remember thinking like that that verse immediately came to my head take your sandals off your feet for you're standing on holy ground like it was just like yeah that guy i mean it was real real repentance and he just wanted god and was just broken at that moment and was like i i need you and so i think when that yeah when that hits a person they somehow become this through the almost yeah just this it's weird because it, you can see that person being torn apart but it becomes this this gate for everyone else to enter through or something like that i don't really know P peter is saying that shalom is a kind of social justice and that's absolutely right it is a social justice it is about the poor and the widows now the thing is peter's concern is can you have a revival that is manufactured that is that is navel gazing that is um you know sort of seeking these indulgent uh personal experiences but not actually doing anything to help your neighbor and the answer is no, you can't. But if it comes from genuine repentance, it means it's like it's not manufactured, it's not instrumental, it's not, it's not designed for something. And I think that the shalom in the sense of social justice probably has to follow after an interior repentance. You know, that's that's is Jesus, this is his first commandment. He says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So repentance precedes the kingdom. It seems pretty clear. Um, and um, uh, it is, well, I, I mean, I think without the repentance, then that we just have a dispute between temperaments as far as poli what political change should look like. And that really just means how should the other guy change? And I'm not, I'm not conceding any wrongdoing on my part or acknowledging that I need to change. Whereas in repentance... And, you know, agape, both sides are saying, forgive me, I love you. What do I need to do to change, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, yeah, it's that splitting open, but especially of the leader in that beautiful way that you that you described. I think that, I think that's why it had power. If if this, you know, it's like, if, if, if it's from God, it can't be stopped. If this were not from God, it would not have, it would not have continued um in the way that it has i think that it's from god these people aren't sleeping um i think it's very interesting i would like to be there i don't know very much about it though um but but um i mean even from that lady krista alicia i don't know like to an extent maybe maybe there's a way that some of the things she says and does it's kind of like culturally imbibed it's almost put on but not really it's it's not it's not deliberately put on but it's kind of imitated and learned in a in a in a kind of culture where because of mimesis it's not always authentic it's just kind of like socially expected almost or like there's kind of weird i don't know feedback loops that get created mm -hmm. um but still from her i also got i got a very powerful sense um um, yeah. And like her, her, her vision was compelling. Yeah. And um, her description of the revival was compelling. Do you want to play some of those? Yeah, I can play. You said about an hour in. Um, about about one hour, I think, is she's talking about the revival. Oh, my goodness. So how do I share screen again here? I'm hit. Share oh, share screen. All right. Uh, desktop. I guess I can do this. Hold on. Let me make sure. Um. Let me see if this works. 
I don't know why it's it's making me open my system preferences for some reason. Oh, okay. I don't know. I guess it wasn't. Uh, I can't. Are you? Is anyone else able to share it? Uh, because uh, it's it's wanting me to quit Zoom for some reason. No, I, like, I I think I have the option. I can find it. Okay. Um, I can send you. I can drop it in the chat. Is, well, Peter, can you can you share it? Can you share it at one minute? Because I don't know if my work Wi-Fi would let me. I made. It. I made Jason the host. Yeah, I so, I let, let me... I I made it to where anybody can share. What it's doing is for some reason. It made me open my um, I don't know why, but Zoom had it I'm on where... my phone right now. Okay. Well, okay. I let can... me let me try to do it. Let me try to do it. Just okay. Unless I mean, because worst case scenario, we could quit and then uh come back and do it. It's just my preferences were messed up for some reason, and um, it's wanted me like to reboot the Zoom to restart it for some reason but i i dropped it in the chat cal if you the link to the youtube yeah here we go yeah it's restricted because i'm on work wi-fi uh, okay well um i don't know what to do i can hold up my my phone to the the screen <laughs> um uh or we can quit and start have Peter start another Zoom and um, come back or something. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I could. I can. Uh, how about I open up my computer and I'll see if if I we can figure out. So, what is the issue you're having, Jason? Um. Well, what it's doing was I hit share screen, and when I hit share screen, it said uh, your preferences are not set. So I opened the system preferences, but then when I change it, it says, okay, you need to restart the Zoom, the application of Zoom, in order to switch it over. Why I don't, don't know you why. leave and come back, Jason? Just oh, can leave I do leave that? And come back. If I'm the just try if, it. If I'm the host, can I do that? How do I make you the host, Peter? Peter Peter, make yourself the host. <laughs> How do I do all this stuff here? Let's see. Uh, more. Let's see. Make host. All right, I'm gonna make Peter the host, and then I'll uh. All right. Yeah, I don't know what it'll do though, because it's recording on my computer. So hopefully it'll keep going. No, I don't it's know. Recording if it to the cloud. Oh, you have it recording to the computer. Yeah, because I I should have hit the cloud. Uh -huh. I don't know why. Uh. Oh, good. Yeah, I messed this whole thing up. I guess. <laughs> Um, I can try that and just come back, and then if I got to hit record again, I'll just splice it together. Does that sound good? I don't yes. know. All right, I'll do it real quick. Um, let's see. All right. Well, John. All right, so hopefully this works. Hopefully this all doesn't get lost or messed up. So here's a screen. Hopefully it'll let me do it now. There we go. Finally. So this is the lady. So like, this is kind of what I think you're talking about, Cal. It seems very, my first outset when I opened this was just like, it looked very like churchy Pentecostal-ish. Um, even some of the lingo the host was using kind of, um, made me stop because i'm familiar with it and so it kind of almost made me put up this weird sort of wall 
in yeah. my head to where yeah. I almost didn't listen. Um, but then as she kept speaking, um, you realize more and more and more, you're just like, wow. At first, the stuff she was saying, I, and I remember telling you this, I was like, I'm not sure if she even understands the implications of what she's saying. But then the more she kept talking, I was like, I think she gets it. Like, I really, really I think, think she, gets she gets it a it, lot. But... I think she gets yeah. it a lot. I think she has an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I actually, I dig her a lot. So, Craig, one question really quick, because I know you know how to do this. Um, so before I share this video, I have to click something else, too, right, where it's got share computer sound. There it is. All right. So let me know if you guys can't hear this. Just interrupt if you can't. Um, all right, I'm going to hit play. And just tell me when to stop, too, Kyle, whenever. Who was it that said, um, I think it might have been Wigglesworth, an empty altar receives no fire, right? And the altar is the place that you go to die. And so these mm-hmm. kids are going up there. They're throwing themselves on the altar to have their flesh consumed with the fire of God, the fire of his covenant love. And and there is a holiness and a reverence. It's amazing. I, I stood there and I watched and a lot of my um, my services and events, they flow this way, but I've never seen it on a scale like this. I've only ever seen a lot of organized services, but this is, this is a free flow of the Holy Spirit where um, out of nowhere, the spirit of God will descend on, on a kid and he gets up with the microphone and he just begins to preach the gospel like an undefiled uncompromised gospel and it's the message of god's love his burning heart towards a people and then there's an invitation to receive it and and the new people the new ones the new kids that are coming in they'll hear the message and they'll stand up and they just begin like the power of God falls on them without anybody touching them. And they just begin to weep, you know, and, and I saw it, I saw like 50 kids, kids come and answer three different altar calls in the four hours that I was there. And it's not done based on a schedule. It is, moments where the holiness falls and there's a reverence that falls and people just spontaneously start speaking in tongues um, or they'll just be singing one hymn that is like absolutely heavenly and there's no musicians and then the spirit will fall on a handful of them and that when it falls they'll stand up and they'll either begin to share about um you know, visions that they just had or a word from the Lord or scripture, or they'll just begin to spontaneously preach the gospel. And then there's a response. And Mm -hmm. then after the response, then there'll be somebody will stand up and share a testimony. And then the, the stage will fill with musicians because it's time for one of their scheduled meetings. And then the musicians will begin a worship service. And I mean, I was, I was there past midnight um, the night that we went and nearing two o'clock in the morning, the place was still packed full of kids that were in wild, unbridled worship to the Lord. Right. 
and then it's and it's spreading um so yesterday we got word that it happened at cedarville university here in ohio it's just about an hour away from me and on the live stream um these these kids went up and answered an altar um an altar call and it was the the pastor or the the president of the university had read out of the book of nehemiah about how um you know that the children of israel had had forgotten their god and had fallen away from him and um but that when they prayed and turned their face back to him that god heard their prayers and turned back to them and that's the spirit of elijah that turns the heart of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the father right and that's that's the spirit that reverses the curse off of our land according to malachi mm. and it's a sovereign move of the spirit that can't be manufactured but this happens there was a huge response at cedarville and so you have to understand this is a baptist university they don't believe in the gifts of the spirit you're not allowed to kneel on the stage at cedarville you're not oh, allowed wow. to kneel and the president is up there because these kids in the service the moment that the service ends you have to leave the sanctuary you're not allowed to stay no one's allowed to linger these kids get up there and they refuse to leave the altar they just want to worship and the president in his nice suit on the stage looks out at the kids and says i don't know what this is and i don't know what to do mm, wow. and he falls on his knees on the stage and begins to weep oh wow and now cedarville university is experiencing revival and this is Praise just God. this is just the first waves it's like the tremors before the real quake comes and we're seeing i mean today um was actually the day that bob jones passed away um and he it was to be a sign that he had learned to love if anybody knows bob jones and his story um i believe truly that um what god is doing right now is an answer to the billion soul harvest that bob jones had prophesied about and it coming through a wave of youth mm -hmm. because really that's what we're all looking for like, if we stop and we think about it, everything that we're looking for, it is God's love. It is to be loved correctly. Yeah. And that's what they're hungry for. And, and when you experience what real love is, it's intoxicating. You'll never try to find it anywhere else. <laughs> oh Once God, you accept God's love, you're like, I'm done running to this false refuge, this false refuge, because you just, I mean, once you taste really the, the true love of God, not counterfeit or anything, just not legalism or religion, but the true love of God, it, it does, it brings you to your knees. It brings you to the end of yourself. It, it makes you a better mom, a better wife 
a better friend. I mean, it just, it changes everything in your life. It, it changes absolutely everything. And it's so incredible what God's doing, pouring his love out on campuses and on younger people. And I mean, what he's done through so many people throughout all of history. I mean, God's never stopped pouring out his love. I mean, people right. meet with him every day in full surrender. Do you want to pause just, it? God is yeah. always. Yeah, I mean, this, this is interesting to me because um, based on my um, having been an atheist for 12 or 14 years, and even now, I mean, the, the on some level, I feel like I still don't really believe, you know? I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. It's definitely a huge part of me that doesn't believe. Um, but at the same time, the fact that I was so, um, I, I was, I was like, not, not militant is the wrong word, but I was, I was a very, um, sort of staunch and, and ironclad atheist. And then, um, I, I never expected to be Christian any more than I expected to be Muslim. And, um, you know, the, the fact that I um, was was given new life makes me feel like it truly not only can happen to anyone, but it will, it has to. So I've often felt that like, like to me, it just seems like, it seems unavoidable that we would have, you would have an outpouring of, of God's spirit that would kind of reanimate the body of dry, uh, the the valley of dry bones that makes perfect sense to me that like as a trajectory that's it's not even that oh i kind of hope it will happen it's it's more like if it happened to me then it, it it it's it simply must happen to everyone um yeah i mean so that that makes sense to me then again it's like i don't know i mean you know this is like the part of me that doesn't believe is always like yeah prophets are always prophesying the you know the end or some big revival and it keeps on being you know the same old boring stuff uh and uh but i don't know you want to you want to play the the vision part or do you want to comment on okay. what they were saying can i can i make a quick yeah. comment because then I yeah need, i need to put my kids to bed i'm going to keep listening but i might not be able to comment further but this is yeah. just an initial thought that came to my mind and i felt like it was rather inspired but um because everything I say is inspired. Everything I say is true and right. Um, true and inspired. True and inspired. Anywho, um, I say anywho a lot. I was listening to my latest podcast and I no, I said anywho talking to Matthew Stefano like five or six times and I cringed every time. Like, <laughs> anywho, ugh. stop saying that. Anyhow, it's true and right and inspired. Anyhow, I was thinking about... Um, I think I've talked to you a little bit, Cal, about like, um, you know, post-millennialism, the kind of more mm -hmm. hopeful vision of the future of the world of eschatology. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, one of the big proponents is Doug Wilson. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with him. I sure do. He's a, re he's a reformed Presbyterian. Um, and he holds to a not popular view of eschatology, yeah. post-millennialism, which basically means that um when jesus like after 70 a.d 
Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's now ruling over the cosmos, including the earth, from at the right hand of the Father. And, and over time, the kingdom of God is going to progressively grow and grow, and Christians, and the amount of Christians, it's going to waver up and down, up and down, but eventually it's going to be, it's going to take over almost the whole world. And, and you know, it looks like right now, in this period, you know, we, we moved from like, you know, the ancient era, and then we were in the medieval times, right? And I don't even know what you name all these, but then, but then we had the Renaissance, right? And the Enlightenment, and then we were the pre-modern era, and now we're, then we were in the modern era, and now we're going towards post-modern era. And my, I always ask myself, where, where, are we go, where is there to go from post-modernism? There's nowhere to go. There's no, there's no future. With the current progression of civilization, there's no future in postmodernism because it is everything and it is nothing. You know what I mean? So I feel like what this could look, what it kind of gives me hope for, for and what, what I'm, I'm picturing is like, you know, right now, maybe the majority of the world, of humans in the world aren't Christians, but maybe there's a future moment in which the kingdom of God is going to grow in such a way that most people will be Christians in the world. And maybe we're going to look at back at moments like this and be like, oh, that was a turning point. That was a turning point in which, um, you know, think it's been, what, 2,000 years of this age that we've been living in since, since the formation of the church, the body of Christ. Now, what if the church goes for another 18,000 years? And, and we could say that, and what if within those 18,000, next 18,000 years, um, the church actually becomes like the body of Christ, the Christians actually become the majority over that time. And then we'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, there wasn't as many Christians back then. But we could do that now. We can look back at like the first 200 years of the church. Yeah. Not The majority was not Christians. Not near, I don't think they would have imagined the amount of Christianity that spread around the world then. Now, imagine in 20,000 20, years from Christ, you know, how much more the body of Christ will have grown. And that's what I kind of picture. And when we have these moments of revival, it's almost like we're trying to reset society, right? Because we're trying to reset human civilization. Because we're in this postmodern era where everything goes and nothing goes, and there's really no up or down, there's no point of reference. We have to return to some sort of sanity and it doesn't mean that's it's not going to look exactly the same as pre-modernism or modernism because because those had their issues and it's not going to look like ancient times exactly but it's almost like returning to something that we've never that we've never been to yet but is but it but it's a place that's reserved in the heavens you know it, it, a place that's in eternity Returning to a place that's in eternity that just hasn't right. hasn't come to our temporal existence yet. Right. And and that's like heaven coming down. You know, when you think of John seeing heaven coming down as a right. city, the giant city that's 200 miles long. Um, well, it's like we're we're gonna re I think we're gonna return to something like that, and it's gonna and it's gonna have all of the advances, the positive advances that we've had of technology and what modernism has brought us and scholasticism has brought us. 
but I think we'll also have to um, change some things and re reorient ourselves. So we're not, um, like I said, it's not gonna be the pre-modern world. It's not gonna be the modern world, but ultimately it can't be post-modernism because it has no, that has no telos, it's, it's nothing. Um, so we're like gonna return to some sort of, uh, I call it the kingdom of God, how about that? <laughs> the kingdom of God is coming. It's within you, it's at hand, right? And, and it's growing and maybe that's what revival looks like. And maybe, maybe that's kind of what people are praying for, right? They're, they see the direction that society is moving in. They see all the pain, they see all the violence, all the absurdity out there. And they're praying for God to have mercy on us, see us in our, in our us humans in our lowly place and that we need to repent, we need to change our minds. We need to call others to repentance. And that does look like humility. It does look like putting down pride. But anyway, I'm going to put the kids to bed. I'll yeah, I, I think I actually have to go you now, too, you know. unfortunately. Do you, do you want to play this last clip or you got to go right now? That's all right. We, if we, we play it, I can't comment another time. on it. Right. Wait, okay. but, but yeah, I that's, mean, that's true. Why don't, I mean, if I don't know. Dang, yeah, we never got to the part that we meant to. How about this? Well, this could be part one. We could come back to it. It's just, uh, yeah, it'd be. We have to find the time, but yeah, we could. What was that? What was the second part? Of the clip was uh, her her vision, one, right? Or one sixteen was the vision, right? The vision of, of the future. How long is okay. the video? Wait, we can come back to it. Yeah, we're gonna have to come back to it. Okay. Um. Yeah, I can. I can do that. Peter, if you want to just send me the um uh the link to this and I can download it. Um sure. I will say though, because I was looking it up while you guys um after we ended that last part was um this uh the prophet, I guess she's talking about the Bob Jones she's talking about, because there's two different Bob Jones, but the she's talking about Bob Jones the prophet, and I've heard of him before. He's got a really interesting story. So I suggest checking him out as well. But anyway. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, guys. This has been fun. So uh, we'll pick it back up for part two. Craig, you good? Driving home? You almost there? I'm doing good. I'm getting close. All right. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just hit stop recording right now, I guess. So stop.